I'm going to start part two called Pursuing His Peace. I did um, Prince of Peace the last Saturday in November, kind of a kickoff to Christmas, and I want to just wrap it up with Pursuing His Peace. And this is going to be more of a practical application. How do we partner with the Lord to actually not only receive peace, but to hold his peace, to, to walk in peace, to be peaceful people, to bring peace wherever we go. Our verse is Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6. You know, peace, godly peace, is not just the absence of suffering. It's not um, experiencing ease or worldly ease or worldly comfort. It's the idea of being, having a shalom in the whole part of your body. Um, and, that, and it's shalom, it's got four aspects to it. This type of peace has four aspects. It's wholeness in your life or body. It's a right relationship or harmony between two parties or people. That's how we can have peace with God, because we're in right relationship with God, or we can have peace with each other. We're in right relationship with each other. That's peace. It also does mean prosperity, success, fulfillment, and it means victory over one's enemies or absence of war. All of those four things are the kind of peace that God wants to bring us. None of that said the absence of conflict or that you're going to have an easy life. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want to favor you and bless you. He does, but it also doesn't mean that he eliminates all tests and trials that come to us in our life, right? Sometimes tests and trials come to us because um, of things that we have done, and sometimes tests and trials come to us because of things other people have done, right? We live in a fallen world, and we're going to experience pain and all that kind of stuff because we are inhabitants of planet earth but god has a plan for us to have peace in the middle of that and that's sometimes really hard to grasp we've all all of us here i'm sure experienced peace or experienced some kind of turmoil that went beyond what we, th we thought we could even ever physically bear um, if i was gonna maybe you guys can throw some things out for me what kinds of things steal your peace what are peace robbers in your life yes ma'am Health issues, physical issues, for sure. What else? Financial security, that's a huge one. Back to Dave Ramsey does a whole thing called financial peace, right? He's built a whole empire on our anxiety about money. <laughs> Not having security. Conflict, for sure. That's a big one for me. Anybody else? Right? Worrying about your kids. Worrying about if your kids are going to be okay. What else? This side of the room. Anxiety about anything, fear. You guys are in perfect peace. Your household's in perfect peace. Oh, we mentioned it all. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, just the pressures of like um, having to perform. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Um, this is really cool, I thought. I was telling Bob we were praying earlier today, and I said, you know, a lot of times I'll, I think I'm going to go one way with a message, and then I get into the message, and it goes a completely different way, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool, blah, blah, blah. This is one of those really cool things that came out, and I've been trying to follow Brian Fenimore because he can take one, one scripture and build a whole sermon out of one scripture. I'm like, how does he do that? You know, but this is one thing. 
The word prince in that verse, Isaiah 9, 6, is the word sar in Hebrew. It's formed from two Hebrew roots, a verb meaning to wrestle or to fight, and another verb meaning to rule or to govern. So both those things. So combined, the idea of prince in that um, scripture is warring prince. He's somebody who wars for our peace. It's not a passive, one-time thing. It's an ongoing event that happens where he wars for our peace. Another um, possible rendering of that verse is, a wonderful counselor is the mighty God. The everlasting father is a prince of peace. I like that too. It's kind of a picture for me um, when you think of somebody uh, who's a warring prince, like, you know, think, speaking of the Middle East, someone who has girded themselves for battle. They are dressed for war, if you will. They're looking around for the enemy. They're in an active stance. They're my defender. They're out on the walls watching out for me. That's the picture I get when I think of a, of a warring prince, somebody who's in authority, but someone who is actively looking out for me, doing something good for me. That's the picture I get when I think of a warring prince. So the first thing I want to talk about, and kind of coming from that, is practically how do we possess peace, biblical peace? And the first thing we have to do is we have to identify what's the enemy of our peace. Now, if I'm here to tell you, if you thought of a person as the enemy of your peace, you're 100% wrong. 100% wrong. Because we know in the New Testament, the Bible says we do not war against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, right? So if you, when I said who is the enemy of your peace, and you immediately brought forth a person, I'm going to ask you to put that person out of your mind and figure out what, is, what does that person represent? What is the emotion or feeling or stress or whatever? Now, as you all know, this is not just, you know, oh, I just forgive that person and now I'm not mad at them or whatever. We all know that's not reality, right? I can't, I have hated people. And I don't hate people very much. I have hated people in my life. Um, but that's not God's will for my life either. So I went to celebrate recovery. Because you know what? Hating people is not going to restore my peace. It's not going to help me walk in godly peace. I need to understand or at least try to figure out what is the emotion or feeling or hurt or trigger or whatever behind that hatred. So I don't stand before you and say, oh, super glib thing. Just don't think about that person, right? The other thing that um, some people do when they have a difficult person in their life, and we all have difficult people, is this thing called negative sentiment override. Have you ever heard of that? That's a super fancy word. Negative sentiment override means when you think about somebody in such a negative way, they become that negative person to you, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So whenever you do have a reaction with them, it's going to be negative, and it's, you're going to remember it as negative. It's kind of like laying down that track in your head that presupposes your reaction with that when it may not be true. And you begin to have a filter where anything they say, you have now filtered through that negative sentiment override. That's a big marriage um, catchphrase, is we need to be careful as Christians to guard ourselves against negative sentiment override where we assume that everything a person says is negative or bad. And that goes back to we need to really um, get to the root of our peace problems 
not in a superficial way, but in a real way. So that if we have bad feelings towards people, that's a, that's a dialogue between the Lord to say, hey, what's really going on here? How am I really, okay, maybe they're a difficult pe- person or whatever. You know, one of my friends says, and you know, as you get older, you're like, oh, that crap is really true. Because when you're younger, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But when they get older, <laughs> people will be put in your life, and someone will say, well, they're put there for a reason. They're put there for a reason. There's, you know, you need to learn to get along with them. And you're like, oh, that's such hogwash. Until you're like, oh, no, that's really true. The Lord is trying to refine me with patience or trying to refine me with mercy or good boundaries or whatever it might be. Everything is an opportunity for the Lord to say, hey, now let's look at this issue that you've got going on here. Why do you have a negative sentiment override with that person? Do you have a problem with your boundaries? Maybe you need to have better boundaries. You know, so I just think that if we're going to pursue peace, we have to pursue the real root of what our peace problems are. I'm going to read to you from um, Joshua. I'm going to read this whole chapter so you guys are so lucky. Because here's the thing about, here's the thing about, um, Mo- you guys all know the story of Moses and Joshua, blah, blah, blah. So Moses is the um, deliverer who delivers Israel from bondage, right? The Israelites are in Egypt. They're in bondage. They are crying out to the Lord. They don't get to do what they want to do. It's horrible, whatever. God sends a deliverer, Moses. He brings them out of the, um, uh, Egypt into the wilderness, and that's Moses' job. The second deliverer now is raised up as Joshua. Joshua takes the people from their um, wilderness into their promised land. This whole picture, that whole overarching picture, is a picture of Jesus. Jesus takes us out of bondage and moves us into our promised land. Such a cool picture. They are all, that. both those men, are, they foreshadow the purpose and the power of Christ in the Christian's life. And so today we're going to talk about Joshua, because we're all out of bondage. Now we're going to go possess our promised land. Peace is our promised land. Peace is a part of our promised land. It's something that's been promised to us. It's something that Jesus wars for on an active basis so that we get to enjoy peace. So I want to talk about Joshua. And you know that Joshua is also a name for Jesus. Isn't that super cool? Do you love how that all just rolls together? After the death, this is Joshua 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Again, this is me. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
Have I not commanded? Be strong and courageous. Third time. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camps and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land and that the land the Lord your God is giving for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you, the, give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow, fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever it may, you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. There we are again. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, what's significant about that whole chapter, you guys? We are, we are transitioning from Moses to Joshua, two types of deliverers. We're transitioning to, from the person who took them out of bondage to the person who's going to help them possess the promised land. That's Joshua. But one thing Joshua did, and he was really smart, he sent, two, Moses sent spies to the land, remember, 12 spies, 10 came back and said, oh, it's too scary. But Joshua and Caleb said, oh, no, we can do it. That's why Joshua took the mantle after Moses. So now we see Joshua doing another thing. He's sending two spies again into the land. Here's why. He wants to see what are the weaknesses, what are the strongholds, what, I, what do I need to be careful of, how many people do they have, what are the pitfalls that I need to be aware of, and that's what we need to do. When we're looking to pursue our peace, we need to do some reconnaissance. And that might involve, you guys, some of your friends. That might involve people saying, saying to your friends, hey, I'm struggling in X, Y, or Z, and I don't have the perspective maybe to see it correctly. Can you help me out? What do you see going on in area X, Y, or Z? That's what we may need to do, and that's what community, godly community is about. Is to say, hey, I see you struggling in the area of anxiety, you know? Um, <laughs> As you know, I have people in my life who really struggle with anxiety, really, really deeply. And um, my daughter decided to get on um, Prozac, and it really, really helped her. And she was called the other day, and she was kind of crying, and she's like, Mom, I'm just so sick of this anxiety. You know, I'm just over it. I'm just done. I said, Emma, let me just tell you something. The enemy is always going to attack you in the area of your weaknesses always. And this is where you have to go to people and say, hey, what do you see? And then you need to do what God has given you at your disposal to fight the battle, to fight the battle against the enemy. And if that's medication, that's medication. And you say, thank you, dear Lord. I think, I say thank you, dear Lord, 
because I've needed it in my past. He gave it to us for a purpose, not to abuse, not to um, not do the real work. But sometimes you have to do this in order to possess your land, right? And there may be times when you've got to do things like celebrate recovery or AA or things like that, when you have problems of unrest in your life that cannot be addressed, you've got to take them to a group of people that can help you identify what's going on. You know, the thing about, um, I think about Celebrate Recovery in AA, I just wrote down four, the four things, um, Bob, of Celebrate Recovery. Even they follow a plan. It says, number one, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. And four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And that's what we have to do. We have to make a searching and fearless moral inventory and say, what is stealing my peace? And how am I participating in it? Either by consciously participating in it or by avoiding it altogether. And here's the thing, you guys. I don't believe that Jesus is warring for our peace so that we can avoid stuff. I think he wants us to be overcomers. He wants us to be... Um, the, the, thing, the thing about Jesus is he's warring for our peace, but he's also warring for identity so that we rise up and take that same sword and we fight not only for ourselves, but our family and our people around us. See, he's always the forerunner. He's the person who leads the way. He's the one that says, listen, what God's given me, you can have it and even more. So I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to war for your peace, but then I want you to war for your peace, and then I want you to war for your kid's peace and your spouse's peace and your boss's peace and the society's peace and Trump's peace. I want you to war for all of them because you're not an inactive bystander. You are called to be an active participant in the kingdom, right? Does that make sense? So that's what I like about the, the Celebrate Recovery and the, the 12 Steps program is they're not like, oh, let's sit around and talk about our woes and, you know, blah, 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 it's her fault, it's my parents' fault, it's my husband's fault, whatever. Like, no, what's your fearless and moral inventory? What have you contributed to this and what are you going to do about it? Am I right, Bob? Amen. Correct. Thank you. So number two is now once you've figured out what's stealing your peace, you have to implement your strategy, Right? You guys know Dave Ramsey. I kind of talked about that, right? Um, I kind of love him and I kind of hate him. I follow him on Instagram, which I might stop, start unfollowing him, but I follow him on Instagram and every five seconds is somebody's like, I paid off 80000 I paid off 100000 I'm like, ugh. And I think it's fantastic. But he has, the thing about Dave Ramsey, and you know, bless his heart, he set a lot of people free. Financial peace, what a great what a great concept. We all want financial peace. He has led people through steps of how to become financially peace. Peaceful. Cut up your credit cards. Get a $1,000 um, emergency fund. Pay off your debt. Debt snowball. He has, all, he has a system for helping people to implement their strategy. Their peace was being lost because they didn't have enough money. They came up with a strategy and they implement their strategy. That is super awesome. He has this one thing called 
cougar intensity. Have you ever heard of it? Okay, this is really cool. See if I can demonstrate it for you. So the idea is um, if you <laughs> pretend I'm a gazelle, I'm a gazelle or I'm part of a herd or pack, okay? And what, what herds do is they all stay together because there's protection being together, right? And what cougars do is they pick off the, um, the weak or the young or the old, the stragglers who can't stay with the herd, right? And he says what cougar intensity is this, is you're in the herd, you see that cougar coming for you, and you run for your life. You run so fast and you jig, jag around so that cougar can't get you. And you have a cougar intensity. You're always looking for where the enemy is trying to pick you off. That's called cougar intensity. And he says that's how you pay off all your debt because you're always looking for what's lying to you and what can say, hey, charge me on a credit card or hey, you need this or you need that. We need to implement cougar intensity into our practice of peace. See, because peace is a practice. It's, it's a gift. It's something that God has possessed for us, but it's a practice that we have to participate in, right? You know, um, we talk about, you know what muscle memory is, right? Have you ever driven, like, to the grocery store and not remembered how you drove there? Like, you're like, how did I get over here? Or did I turn here? Or you meant to go one place and you turned another way because you were on what we call autopilot, Right? Well, there's a type of muscle memory, which is the same kind of thing. Like when people are practicing to shoot, they train so much because when they get in stressful situations, they don't want to have to remember. They want their muscle memory to kick in, right? Because you've done it so many times that your hands remember it, even though you're stressed out beyond belief. Well, practicing peace is the same way. We need to practice it so much that we get mu muscle memory with it. It becomes our default position instead of something we have to think about. And so what we're trying to do is have cougar intensity about our peace. We're going to say, I'm going to remain peaceful on purpose until this becomes my default mechanism, right? Isn't that the way we want to get? You know, I hate it when people do, um, <laughs> have you ever met people who don't suffer with what you suffer it with? And they're like, well, just get over it. Just stop doing that. Well, you know, change your mind. If you change your mind, your, your, your feelings will, will follow. You're like, oh, my gosh. That, those are people I hate right there, right? Everybody has said it. Everybody's like, well, I don't struggle with that, so I don't know how come you do. I mean, the most arrogant thing in the world, right, is to say, just get over it. Nobody knows what we've been going through. Nobody knows our struggles. And so if you're one of the people saying it, don't ever say it again, okay? But I'm not. I'm sorry. You're just in my line of vision. But there is one person who gets to say that to you because this one person really does know you, and that's the Holy Spirit, right? The number one thing that I have really learned last year has been a life changer in my life has been star. Stop, turn, ask, respond. Even when I'm in the middle of a conflict, you know how much I hate conflicts, I'll be like, okay, stop, turn. Lord, do you want me to address this right now or later or not at all? Okay. And then it's either address it now, address it later, or not at all. See, because everything is different. Sometimes you do need to address things right away. What's our favorite saying? What you, what you permit, you promote. But sometimes the Holy Spirit says, wait, I know what's going on in that other person, so you just wait. I'll deal with them. You won't have to. That's the number one thing, if we're going to get a hold of going to the next level, is star. With everything. Conflict 
fear about money, anxiety. Everything needs to be star. Holy Spirit, help me to partner with you. What are you saying in this situation? Let's go back to Joshua. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So here's the picture. Joshua has now crossed over. He's taken the people across the Jordan into the promised land. He builds up a little altar so he can remember what's going on. He's, going, he's coming up to the closest, the first place that needs to be conquered, and he comes up to this angelic presence, right? Which would probably scare anybody, right? Here's the cool thing. <laughs> this was, when I read this, I was like, what? That angel was not for him. That angel was not for him. That was not, that was not an angel sent for Joshua. He wasn't for the Israelites. He was for the Lord. And his message was, get on board or get out of my way. You can get on board or you can get on, out of my way. That angel, that, that's, what we, that's what God wants us to do. Are we going to get on board with him? Because he's got things he wants to do. He's got land to conquer, cities to possess, peace to fulfill, and he needs us to get on board. And that is our part of practicing the peace. How are we supposed to partner with the Holy Spirit? Because we are absolutely required to if we want to experience peace. And I'm not trying to be like all legalistic and formulaic in any way. I'm just trying to tell you, peace is something that we have to practice and do. It, it requires our participation. And this angel was not messing around. He's like, I'm here to do some work. Are you with me? Are you, gonna, are you with the Lord? We'll do it together. If not, I, I'll see you. And, and the Holy Spirit, he's not ever going to leave us. That's not the picture of the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the one that says, I will lead you to victory in your promised land, but you're going to have to obey me. You're going to have to move forward. You're going to have to do things you don't understand. And you're going to have to put um, perspiration into it. You're actually going to have to try and do things. It's, you're, you guys, we're either moving forward or we're not. There's no, like, standing still. We're either possessing the land or we're not. I want to possess the land. Do you want to possess the land? Thank you, Jay. I love that. Much like in the 12 steps, we must admit that we are unable to possess our promised land without God. We must turn ourselves over to the care of God, and it's God's job to fight our battles. It's not our job to fight. Remember, he's the warring prince. He's a picture for us. He's going to teach us, but it's his job to fight our battles, and we get to partner with him in doing that, just like Joshua. Now, you know, I used to have this problem with the idea of God choosing people. I thought it was super unfair, and, you know, I'm like this high justice person, but I'm like, why would God choose some people or not? That's so wrong, blah, blah, blah. Well, now I kind of get it. Now I understand that the picture of God choosing Israel is really a picture of God choosing us because what he's really saying is I can take this messed up group of people over here and make them my people and I'll be their God. 
I can do it for anybody. Nobody's disqualified, nobody's too messed up, and nobody's missed the boat. I can take anybody and bring them out of Egypt and bring them into a promised land. Even this scrawny group of Israelites who are, what do they call them, stiff-necked idiots who like made a golden calf and all that kind of stuff, right? He's like, I'll take even them because he wanted to show who he was to the rest of the nations. See, I didn't understand that for a long time. But the reason God wants for you to have peace, not just for you, he wants to be glorified to everyone around. He wants people to be like, man, how come she's got peace and she's got no money? That doesn't make sense to me. God wants to be glorified in that. How can she have peace? She's going through the worst time of her life. How can she have peace? Because God's inside of her, possessing the land on her behalf, fighting her battles on her behalf. Our peace is not just for us. It's for the world. It's for Iran. It's for the people of Iran, you guys who need the peace of Christ. You know, I, I was, wrote in my notes, for some this is a prosperity message, and I say, sure it is, who cares? I don't care, it is a prosperity message. God's desire is to prosper us in body, soul, and spirit. He fights our battle for that reason. He is our warring peace. The other thing is, um, we have to obey God, even when it seems hard. You know, there's a couple stories in Joshua, and there's a contrast. The first place that they possessed was called Jericho. You remember the story of Jericho? The only thing they had to do was walk around the city seven times, and at the end of seven days, blow their horns, and the walls came crumbling down. That is the perfect example of star. Lord, how do you want me to take this particular city? Oh, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to watch, and I'll do it for you. I, I got a plan, and I'll do it. And we're like, okay, it looks real stupid, and I feel real dumb, but I guess I'll do it. And the walls came down. That was example number one. Example number two is another city called AI. You guys heard of AI? AI was a whole different situation. God had a particular plan that he wanted them to do, and one of their guys didn't do it, and they suffered defeat. And then they had all these problems because they didn't adhere and obey to what God had told them to do. That's also in our lives. Those are two examples. There are times when God's going to say, I got this, and you don't need to do anything. You just sit back and watch Netflix. I don't care. You know, whatever. There's another time when God's going to be like, oh, I need you to go out and put your resume out because um, this is what I need you to do. And we're going to, there's a partnership of obedience where we need to obey the Lord and do what he's called us to do so that we can possess that particular part of our land. And, you know, as I'm talking about it, there's other things, you guys, in our promised land. A lot of people think that it, is been, it was very um, unfair of God to go in and get rid of the Canaanites and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to know that there were many Canaanites that actually converted um, out of that, them coming into the promise. One of them is Rahab. Remember the prostitute Rahab? She's in the line of Jesus. She's actually an a ancestor of Jesus. And I want you to know something, that God's promised land doesn't just involve us. Again, going back, it's our promised land, but it's something we get to bring in our family. We get to bring in our friends. We get to touch and influence everybody in our sphere of influence, even into cutting off um, the generational curses. We don't have to put up with that, you guys. We, that gets to be cut off because of our promised land. We, that's not, we don't have to settle for that stuff anymore. That was one of the things when Joshua went into, one of the purposes for going into the promised land was they were doing um, child sacrifice. 
They had horrible immorality. And God wanted to root that stuff out of that land, not just for the sake of the Israelites, but for the sake of the people living in the land. And that's the same thing for us. When we go for our peace, we bring peace to our family. We bring peace to the people around us, righteous living. So our peace is, obtaining our peace is one way of extending the kingdom. Does that follow? And this comes to one thing, Bob Holloway. I was reading Joshua, and it was super, super duper good. This was from the Lord to you. Not even from me, but from the Lord. And I say this with confidence. Joshua 13, 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Which to me, I asked him, I said, What does that mean? That, that Josh was old, but his job was not done. There was much land that still needed to be possessed. There's much land that still needs to be possessed because you were a form of Joshua to many people around you. You have taught people how to pursue peace, and you have taught people how to practice and hold on to it, and you are a form and a figure of Joshua in many people's lives. And you are very old. Really? You are very old. And very old back then was about 90. You are very old, but there are still very large areas of land to be taken. Am I right? That resonate with you guys? You're welcome. So, you know, you figure out where you figure out where you're, you know, you need peace. You implement your strategy. Now you're like, okay, I've done all that. I still need. I'm still lacking something. Well, there's one other thing that you guys can do. If you're like, I don't, because part of peace is fulfillment. Part of peace is going. I'm doing something. Like, God's using me somehow. Like, I feel fulfilled. I feel like maybe I'm making a difference in this world. That's a feeling of peace, actually, believe it or not. Um, you can actually start doing good works. You can do this. Lord, well, what good works do you want me to do today? What have you called me to do, Lord? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And let us, this is Galatians, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then this is, this is Jesus, I mean this is Acts, but this is actually Jesus, talking about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and he healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. So when we do good work, we partner with the Holy Spirit, we take our minds off of us, and we say, God, what do you want to do through us? You know, one of the things um, that I did when I used to work at The Rock was we would have to do, um, Bob and I would do hospital visits. And every time I had to do a hospital visit, I was like, Ugh. I have to go do a hospital visit. Because, you know, you got to get in your car, and you got to drive over there, and then you got to find out what room they're in, and then you got to go up, and... Sometimes they're busy with a nurse, and you got to wait around, blah, 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 right? And then you get in there, and they're just like this. Thank you so much for coming to pray for me. I just really need a touch from the Lord. And you're like, oh, my gosh. So then you pray with them a very short amount of time and visit with them a little bit, and they're like, you have made my whole day. Thank you for praying with me. And just overwhelmed that you would take 30 minutes out of your day 
to go and pray with somebody. And I always walked out of the, every single time I walked out of the hospital going, thank you, Jesus, for giving me the opportunity to do that. Even though my ridiculous flesh did not want to do it. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me be Jesus to somebody else. It's, it'll change your life when you do what you don't want to do. Um, because there's a really big concept called dying to self. <laughs> we must die to self to live fully. Um, I'm going to show you a video. So let's watch this video. Dwayne Wade. I have no idea who's coming. Like, literally, no idea. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Dwayne. Hello. Hello. How you doing, brother? Pretty good, and yourself? It's been about 12 years since I last seen you. I come from an area where not too many people make it. It was always my dream that I'd get the chance to go to college, but we just didn't have the money. You mean so much to us, and my brother Joaquin loved you from the beginning. He passed away in Parkland on February 14th. He was one of the 17 victims. 10 days before Christmas, our house burned down and we lost everything. It was one of the lowest points in my life. Hey, Dwight. How you doing, Miles? You were the joy of my life. But I was dropping the ball. That day that I just couldn't do it no more was the day that I was going to have to turn myself in. And I seen the tears just fall from your eyes. Your mama went down a road, Dwayne, that I didn't ever think I'd come back from. But on that road, I noticed you kept showing up. And you'll come and see about me. And Dwayne, because you believe in me. When I got out of prison, I was a different woman. We received a phone call. Would you mind if Dwayne Wade take you and the family <laughs> on a shopping spree? It just meant the world to me that you were there for us at this time. Thank you. You became our hero. A lot of the words that you said hit a spark and kind of changed where I was going. Without you and your full tuition scholarship, none of this would have been possible. You're not way the basketball player, the legend. You're the human being that took the time and on his own, wrote my brother's name on his shoe, and you cared. When you bought your mama that church, you don't even understand the lives that you changed. So I don't have a jersey. But I brought you this. I don't have a jersey to trade with you, but I definitely have this. The blazer that I wore to my first job interview. My cap and gown from graduation. This is important because Joaquin wore this in his last championship. My family wanted you to have it. Please don't forget my brother, Joaquin. 
Having you as a role model has made all the difference. One of the special robes that you gave me, purple symbolized royalty, and you are royal in everybody's life that you've touched. You completely changed the course of my life. I know my brother is with you always. It wouldn't have been possible to be here if it wasn't you. I am more proud of the man you have become than the basketball player. You are bigger than basketball. Okay, you guys, that's a beer commercial. That's a freaking beer commercial. So, you know, I don't even know that guy's name until I saw this commercial, right? I don't even know anything about him, but he's a retiring basketball player, and he exchanged um, jerseys, and was it last year? Yeah, okay. And uh, how cool is that? How cool is that, you guys? We get to do that. That's us. He's from Milwaukee. Thank you, Tim. The, the great city of Milwaukee. Um, I just want to say, you want peace in your life? Start figuring out good works you can do. Start being fulfilled. Start dying to self, and then you'll live. You die to self, then you'll live. Then you'll find the peace you've been looking for. So I'm just going to, we're going to say thank you to Joanna for dinner. I'm going to pray and close us out, and then if you, me and Steve will be up here if anybody wants any personal prayer, but otherwise we're going to have something to eat, okay? So I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, God, that we get to partner with you. We get to war for peace. We get to war for other people's peace. We get to be difference makers in this world, Lord. We get to change lives. We get to be deliverers to our family and to the people around us. Lord, you have invited us into the greatest adventure ever. It's the adventure of possessing our promised land and changing the course of history, changing destiny not only for ourselves, but all the people we come into contact with because we are people of peace. We are people of peace who give peace and receive peace. We are difference makers. We are deliverers, God. Thank you so much, Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us and you're the most powerful thing there is, Lord. We love you. We thank you for how much you love us, God. Amen.